Hello and welcome to Match Day FM. It's Morgan and it's deflected in out of absolutely nothing. Curzon and Ashton lead. Dixie to Hardy. Hardy in behind. Hardy past the goalkeeper. Hardy into the goal. 2-1 filed. Chance of Colin Day bubbling everywhere again. The other shot. And it's in. It's a recall as McCollum Day. It's been coming. What a gap and he goes through it. And Akron gets the first try of the game for Siddle. Dan Bradley on his debut scores his first goal for Fylde. They've got it with Smith, and they've got it with Smith! They've got a score with Smith! Unbelievable! Great chance! They've won it! Ashton have won it! Hello and welcome to episode five of the Ringcraft podcast brought to you by Matchday FM. I am Kieran Makin and as always, I'm joined by Sam Jordan to discuss all things boxing. Sam, how are we tonight? I'm very well, Kieran. Very, very well. A uh, couple of issues, you know, my own personal life. You know, a couple of people annoying me, as I, as I explained to you just before we came on air there, you know, uh, in my second job, so to speak. But, you know, able to put them you know, aside for one hour and talk for an hour even, and uh, talk about, you know, something which greatly, greatly uh, interests me in the sport of boxing. So looking forward to it, mate. Well, I know you are definitely happy when you're talking about the sport of boxing. So let's talk lots of boxing and try and cheer you up. Uh, we'll look back straight away, Sam, uh, to the weekend just gone and the action that took place. You know, first and foremost, congratulations to Lawrence O'Callaghan, Britain's latest world champion, winning the WBO Cruiserweight crown against Glavatsky. Uh, Sam, let's just talk about the performance in, in general, first and foremost. Personally, for me, I was really impressed. Um, I know he was huge in comparison to Glavatsky and obviously the fact he was a southpaw kind of played into his hands because he had the reach. And obviously Shane McGuigan had worked on a, a really uh, solid game plan, you know, which came to fruition pretty much from the first bell. But just want to see how, how you thought it went uh, for Lawrence Corley. Uh, to be honest, Key, I, I, I thought... Um... I was shocked in a way because I think both both of us last week thought that a Coley would be this fight would be a lot of hold maybe involved with a Coley would keep an arm's length. But I mean, I, I don't think either one of us um, thought that a Coley wasn't capable of getting the knockout. But I think we were both like a Coley has had a tendency, especially in big fights, to to be a spoiler. Um, and I thought that this fight would be very very similar, but it wasn't. So he, he actually a Coley. Boxed really, really well. Um, obviously, used his height and range advantages of uh, Galatsky. Um, he brilliant behind the jab. His right hand was find the target oh, time and time and time again. Um, and he eventually systematically broke him down, didn't he? And I'll be honest, the most impressive thing for me about Akoli, he moved very, very well in and out of range. Um, but I liked his shot selection and I liked his body shots which is not necessarily something that we associate Lonzo Coley with. He, he's normally a heavy hitter to the head. Um, but I like his body shots and I like the way he, he used the jab up and down. Um, and yeah, targeted both areas of the body. I um, thought he was very, very good and was a real commanding, dominating performance and one which sent out a massive statement to the rest of the Cruiserweight division. He's obviously massive for the weight, which we discussed last time. You know, he's he's powerful, he's tall, he's got really, you know, long range. Do you think now he's starting to put the boxing practices in place with that talent? Obviously, he only had 22 amateur fights. Now, 16 pro fights, won them all. And do you think that's down to Shane McGuigan in particular, working on these aspects with him? Um, Yeah, yeah, you would have to say, obviously... Shane McGuigan's been a massive, um, massive help in his career, hasn't he? I mean, obviously, we've seen the improvements that he's made under Shane McGuigan. You know, he seems to be uh, picking his shots a lot better. Obviously, they've been working on certain types of shots. As you mentioned, normally what tends to happen, Key, when someone's had a limited amateur background, is that they don't have as many shots in their armory um, or in the toolbox, you know, just, you know, they, they can be a little bit more limited than, say, someone who's had hundreds and hundreds of amateur fights. Um, that tends to be what you know what happens. They're not as silky. Um, but with a Coley, what we're starting to see him throw every different type of shot. You know, he's using body shots. He's got a you know everyone's always known about the the, the right the straight right hand that he has over the top. Uh, but he's now got right and left hooks as well. Um, you know, he, he's becoming a much more well-rounded fighter, and his footwork's vastly improved as I mentioned before. So he, he's now. Um, in a position where 
he's when he's coming up against these better opponents. Obviously now he, you know, he's now champion. He'll obviously have to face, especially when I'm looking to unify. He's going to face better caliber opponents. He's he's now got more tools and more strings to his bow that he can use going into these fights that make him an even more formidable opponent that he already is. Um, what I would say is I don't want to be disingenuous to his previous trainers because. You know, Akoli for me, since he very first made his debut, has been a, very much a work in progress. And all the way through his amateur career, you can see fight by fight, he has made different elements of progress uh, with different trainers. But I have to be honest, the improvements he's made under Shane have been the most dramatic ones. And yeah, I do think he's been massive for um, for Lance Akoli's career. But it should come as no surprise, really, because, you know, I mean, just you only have to look at Shane McGreen's resume of fighters, don't you? They're, they're one, I think that is that his fourth world champion now. Um, so, uh, you know, you know, certainly ones who've become world champion under his reign. I mean, he's uh, off the top of my head. I mean, Carl Frampton, um, George Groves, Josh Taylor, mm-hmm. now on Coley. You know, um, you know, he's he's building a real, real resume, isn't he? And um, yeah, Shane McGreen, brilliant, brilliant. He's got he's got a brilliant stable as well at the moment, hasn't he? Most definitely, he's, he's certainly proven, you know, he's worth, and it says a lot with, you know, you listed the calibre fighters that have become world champions, but those fighters have chosen to work with Shane McGuigan, so must, you know, prove something. Um, it's the, probably boxing's worst kept secret that Akoli will eventually move up to heavyweight, Sam. Eddie Earn obviously mentioned that after the fight, but obviously before that, he's going to look to unify the division, as you've just mentioned. Um, he said Maris Breedis would probably be a natural choice, and I'd like to see that fight, obviously the IBF champion. But we've also got Ilunga Makabu, you know, once upon a time, fought Tony Bellew. He's a WBC champ. And uh, Arsene Goulamiriam from French, French, uh, France, French unbeaten fighter. He's the WBA uh, champion currently, super champion currently. Um, is Breedis the next choice, you think? Or would you be thinking of going, you know, down the roots of any of them other, um, other options? Because obviously Makabu's worked with her before that fight might be easier to get on. Yeah, I'll be honest, Key. I was quite surprised when they when they mentioned Bradis's name initially. Um, for two reasons, really. One, obviously, he's widely recognised as the best in the division. Now, in terms of um, it being a surprise, uh, I just think that um, the reason, me personally, if you're going into a fight with Manus Bradis, especially you know he's just won the uh, World Boxing Super Series, the current Muhammad Ali Trophy holder. Even though they'd both be going in as champions, I, I feel like Manus Bredis would still command the bigger, the bigger, bigger split, so to speak, because of what he's done previously. Um, obviously, he run Usyk very, very close as well, didn't he? You know, the former king of the game, um, the the cruiserweight. So, yeah, I'd feel like maybe he would command the bigger split. Um, now, obviously, to accommodate um, that, um, or oh, sorry, to address that, sorry. Um, Akoli potentially by taking on one of the other champions with them and, and taking their belt will put him in a, str- a stronger bargaining position, um, a stronger negotiating position, um, and therefore, you know, becomes a bigger fight and he, he gets more money. Um, now, the second element to, to the reason why I was shocked was I just feel like the other two fights are easier, easier wins for him, to be honest. I mean, I think along with Makabu, for as much as, you know, he's gone on to win the WBC title, and I know Tony Bell, who likes to. Um, Likes to, you know, blow his trumpet um, for him. Um, I just feel like he's tailor-made for Lonzo Coley. He's short, um, short, stocky fighter, and he's a non-pressure fighter. He's someone who very much likes to try and counter, but you can't counter someone who's got a massive reach and height advantage and who's now feet and improving, you know, to get out the way. You know, Coley barely got it, didn't he, on, on Saturday night by uh, Glowacki, so... Um, yeah, I think along with Maccabi, would be Taylor May for him. I think that's that's for me. That's a straightforward, easy knockout for Lonzo Coley. Move on to the next. Um, the the French guy, the, the WBA champion. I'm, to be honest, Kate, I'm not. I haven't seen anything of him. Um, don't really know too much about him. Um, judging by his box record, um, you know he's obviously as you mentioned, he's unbeaten. But I don't really seem to. I can't see. Anyway, just but just by looking at his boxing uh, box record, anyone on his record where you go, yeah, that's a standout win. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, someone who you'd probably expect Lonzo Coley to come through. Um, but 
Yeah, just um, just surprised me a little bit. But what it also screams out at me, Kate, is that maybe if they beat Bradis, that that's all they're interested in, and that, then they're going to go to heavyweight rather than to become undisputed at the weight. Um, so yeah, that's maybe what it indicates. Obviously, going after Bradis, maybe they're worried about the weight issue. He did seem to be. Um, a Coley. I remember a Coley. I don't know if you'll ever remember that pressure me and you were at um, the Anthony Crowley, Jorge Nalares mm-hmm. pressure in Manchester. Um, and obviously a Coley, obviously he was still a young pup coming through then, you know, he was still raw and new to the um, professional ranks, but he um, he was, he was. I remember looking at him, he had his top off at the back of the room, if you ever remember Key, and he was, like, he had the, the pointy shoulders and, uh, you know, he ripped to shreds um, then. And he looked a lot more fuller on um, Saturday night. Uh, wasn't as well chiselled, wasn't as well cut. He didn't have the, um, you know, the uh, the lumps on the top of his shoulders. Looked more round, his shoulders were more rounded. So that maybe suggests that he is he's filled out and maybe he is struggling to make the weight a little bit. So um, yeah, means to be seen how soon he goes up to heavyweight. But fighting Bradis next would indicate to me that 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 would be his crown and glory and his cash out, so to speak. And then he, he would then move on to heavyweight. It's all very interesting in whoever he fights, you know, I'll be tuning in because I was really impressed with him on Saturday night. And I just want to quick up, uh, quickly pick up on a point you made, Sam, during that, before we move elsewhere. Um, about Maccabi, you said, obviously, uh, you know, smaller, reach disadvantage. He's also a southpaw, a bit similar to, you know, Glavatsky, really. Glavatsky was also a southpaw. So that could be, you know, a tailor-made fight for a caller, as you said. Uh, just before we look ahead to this weekend's action, Sam, uh, just a quick word on Anthony Fowler, Joe Cardina and, and Chris Billum Smith, who were all on the undercard. How did you see those three going? Uh, so I'll be honest, Kay, as I mentioned before, when I was uh, just chatting to you before, uh, I was a little bit annoyed on Saturday night due to the fact that uh, I'd seen a little bit of a fourth tier uh, against Anthony. Well, obviously, fourth Anthony Fowler, but I'd seen a little bit of. Uh, of him previously and I fancied that fight to go to distance especially with Fowler a few feet previous opponents obviously Brian Rose and um, uh, there's another name springs to mind uh, Harper who you know he went the distance with both of those two uh, now I fancied Fortier just seemed he was easy on the eye in terms of his style um, and he looked like he could bang a little bit and, uh, you know and he'd just gone uh, the full 12 rounds with uh, an undefeated Russian in his last fight so um uh, yeah, I felt like th- that that fight was a banquet to be uh, 12 rounds. And obviously, Farlands to get the job done inside three. And oh, wow, fair play. You know, made a real statement there. Obviously, caught him, didn't he? Um, and just got the job done, didn't he? But uh, yeah, really impressive performance from Anthony Farler. He looked really good on a uh, Saturday night. Uh, Chris Billum Smith, I thought, to be honest with you, I didn't really look too much into his opponents. I've seen his record, but didn't really look into his record too much. Uh, I, I thought Chris Bill and Smith would get the spot, uh, the stoppage there, and I felt like he should have. In all honesty, um, after getting the two knockdowns, he'd be quite disappointed that he didn't get the stoppage. But um, also on the flip side of that, I was concerned on how much he was getting hit. Chris Bill and Smith, he was very, very easy to hit on Saturday night. Um, not that he was ever really seriously in trouble. I mean, he, he did look as if he was shaking once or twice, um, or stopped in his tracks once or twice. But yeah, I was just a little bit. Um, yeah, a little bit disappointed in how often he was hit. I'm sure Shane McGuigan will be looking to address that when they get back in the gym. Uh, but that said, he should have got the stoppage. And in terms of his his own attacks, uh, yeah, it could have showed a little bit more of a killer instinct. You could probably you, you could probably make that argument. But you know, he did go to the body really, really well, um, which he, he does tend to in a lot of his fights. Uh, I probably would have liked him to have mixed it up a little bit more. Uh, he, he did become a little bit predictable as the rounds come on. Uh, he was always looking for that body shot followed by the left hook to the head. Um, so, yeah, um, I would like to see him. He did throw them a couple, of, uh, quite a few times during the fight, but I'd like to see him mix it up a bit more, maybe lead with an uppercut uh, at times. Um, you know, you know, we can, as I say, he can leave with, he, he was leaving with the body shot then going for the left hook. I'd like to maybe come in behind the jab, you know, maybe leave with an uppercut. You know, maybe the double jab, a couple of more feints. He just didn't, yeah, he was just become a little bit predictable. And obviously, I don't know whether that was maybe down to, um, you know, being out the ring for, for you know, a decent period of the time. Um, or maybe he just didn't quite have any fear of his opponent. But yeah, hopefully, you know, in his next fight, he'll come back and, and look the way he has done in previous fights where he's looked really, really good. Uh, 
Last uh, last but not least, Joe Cordina. Uh, I like Joe Cordina. I think he's a really, really good fighter. I thought Saturday night wasn't particularly his best night, if I'm honest. Um, you could tell, couldn't you? Joe Cordina looked as, like he'd been out the ring for the best part of 18 months. Um, he looked as if he just was going through the motions a little bit on Saturday night. He didn't really go through the gears. He didn't have any fear of his opponent. Um, and he made a fight where he was, let's be honest, he was comfortable and he was the winner. But he made a fight in um, a, a fight that he should have really got a man of there or at the very, very least won every single round. He made it a relatively close fight by being so comfortable. If that makes sense, I mean, the scorecards. I think one of them had a draw, didn't he? And the other two to Cordina. I didn't see the draw, I'll be honest. I've seen Cordina by two or three rounds. But, I mean, Joe Cordina was miles streets ahead of uh, his opponents on Saturday night. And, yeah, he just he just went through the motions a little bit. And, obviously, you know, you can put that down to ring rust and, you know, move on. But I'd like to see Joe Cordina back out really soon. I'd even maybe suggest get him out on one of the April cards. Maybe even the Conor Ben card. Quick turnaround, two weeks, something like that. Depends. Hopefully, you know, that's as long as he's got no cuts or anything like that. Um, no major swelling. Get him back out on that card in another, you know, uh, maybe a, a ten round there, and yeah, get get him get him moving again, Keith, because you know, you know, he's a real twenty sixteen Olympian. He's just seeing his teammate in in Lawrence Coley lift a world title, and I don't know. I mean, Joe Cordina, for me, seems miles away from a world title at the moment, um, just because his career's been that stop start. So, yeah, um, I'd like to see him. Uh, get back in there again quickly, and then once he's had another ten round, then start maybe to look press on towards, uh, you know, the likes of yeah, your fringe world level opponents, and then you know potentially onto world level. The Matchday FM podcast available now on Apple and Spotify. Well, that's last Saturday night done and dusted. Let's look ahead to the big one this Saturday evening, uh, Alexander. Povetkin versus Dillian White, the rematch live on Sky Sports box office. Over in Gibraltar, going to have a crowd on because every single person in Gibraltar is now vaccinated. There's only 34,000 people who live there, so fair play. Looks brilliant, by the way. Yeah, yeah, there's only 33,000 plus people who who live on the island, so all all vaccinated back to normal, so um, they're going to have a crowd on. And I'll fair play to them. Uh, But let's look at, you know, the event they're going to be spectating Sam uh, this is a massive massive fight isn't it particularly for Dillian White you know after the shock in the uh, in the matchroom HQ garden uh, back in the summer just let's let's get stuck into this one Sam uh, break it down for me how do you see it going and then give us a prediction oh dear um, oh do you know what I keep I keep changing my mind um, not necessarily on who's going to win but just how the fight's going to play out Um. I honestly can't see Dillian White looking to go as gung-ho as what he did last time. Um, I, I think he's going to box a little bit more. Um, not to say that he was completely gung-ho. I mean, he wasn't He wasn't slugging with, with Pavekin last time. Um, but, he, you know, he, he was sitting on his punches and he was very much planting his feet and, and looking to get Pavekin out of there. Um, I think he will... He will box a little bit more don't get me wrong I do think if the opportunity arises to get him out of there I think he will take it but he'll be looking to box him a little bit more and be a little bit more wary of uh, the obviously the, the uppercut of Alexander Povekin. Um, you know Alexander Povekin's known for throwing that left uppercut uh, obviously because of the position Dillian White had got himself into in that first fight he went to sleep a little bit didn't he and ended up getting caught by it um, but listen Povekin throws mean uppercuts he throws mean uh, left hooks uh, and he's very, very capable of winning this fight. So I think Dillian White will uh, be very, very wary of walking into another uh, Sasha Pavekin um, bomb. And uh, yeah, I think the fight will be a more tightly contested affair, I feel. I feel like it, it could potentially go to points. Um, yeah, that's my initial thoughts on it. Uh yeah, as I say, yeah, I have thought a little bit because at first I was thinking Pavekin maybe by knockout. Um, so I have thought a little bit. I did, I did, that, that was when it very first was announced. So uh, for the back end of last year, the more I thought on it, uh, or thought about it, even uh, I have come around to thinking Dillian White surely won't get beat again. Um, I just feel like he will have learned from his mistake. It'll be another Anthony Joshua Ruiz uh, type contest. Um, 
and yeah, I do feel like um, he will get the job done. But yeah, maybe on points similar to Alwanti Josh is out in Saudi Arabia. Would you say that it is absolutely must win for Dillian White and has he got more to lose? I would say he's got more to lose. You know, just looking at the age of Povetkin, I know he's still fringe world level, but obviously Dillian White, would you say he's got bigger aspirations at this point of his career? I think if you're looking at it from his point of view or maybe even the the boxing fraternity point of view, I think you'd have to say yes. Um, you know, Dillian White's a younger heavyweight. Obviously, he's 30, 31, 32 years old. So, yeah, I mean, he probably harbours bigger ambitions of becoming a world champion than uh, Alexander Povetkin. But, I mean, I'm sure if you was ask Alexander Povetkin's team whether it does more damage to Dillian White than him, I'm sure they'd disagree. I'm sure they'd probably say, well, no, actually, because if we get beat, where do we go from here? Um, you know, as you said, he's you know, in his 40s now, Alexander Povetkin, and if he gets beat by Dillian White here in the rematch, I'm not sure whether there'll be a rematch clause in this. I don't think there will be because there was a rematch clause in the initial fight, wasn't there? So um, I'm guessing it's a winner takes all on this one. And if Povetkin gets beat here, I don't think Dillian White's going to give him a rematch. Um, so um, he'll be looking to, you know, enforce the mandatory slot with the um, the WBC. One that, you know, until he got beaten his last fight, he'd been, man, uh, he'd been number one four for over a thousand days. So yeah, I, I see... Povetkin then is back to fighting fighters, you know, on the up and coming, isn't he? I mean, you'd, you'd then looking at maybe Hergovic, uh, the Hergovic's of this world, and maybe even a rematch with Michael Hunter. And people, I don't even know, there's still big fights for him, but it's whether he's happy with that key. I'm sure he probably, you know, he's had he's had a lot of big fights recently, Alexander Povetkin, not, you know, post Anthony Joshua. You know, he went into the Michael Hunter fight. Um, obviously, he's had the Dillian White fight, he'll have the rematch. Um, you know, he's been in a few. Wars, so to speak, recently. Um, so it's whether they'll still have the hunger in the tank if he gets beat to carry on. Um, so I'm sure their team will argue it. But as regards uh, the general wider thought process of the, of the boxing public, I would say that Dillian White probably has got more to lose. Um, yeah, it, it, it is a you know win or bust situation, isn't it, for him, really? Um, I don't think that by any stretch of imagination, he will retire. He's still lots of big fights out there for Dillian White, but in terms of his world title aspirations, he's in a very, very tough position then, isn't he? Because all of a sudden he slides down the rankings. I'm not sure where he currently is in the rankings, but I'm guessing he's probably around about 6th or 7th So in the in, in the heavyweight rankings. So um, he needs this kick. He needs this. He needs to promote and propel himself back into the top four or five heavyweights. Um, because realistically, I don't think anyone outside Anthony Joshua is going to give him a voluntary. Um, and he'd be a million miles away from the, the other belts because obviously Usyk is due to fight Joe Joyce for the interim WBO title. So the winner of that will face, you know, uh, the winner of uh, AJ Fiori. Obviously, if there's AJ Fiori vacate, then Usyk will fight the winner of Chisora Parker. So that's the WBO title. Uh, as regards the IBF mandatory, um, Pulev's just had the IBF mandatory, hasn't he? And then next in line, you've got Charles Martin. So... You know, would Charles Martin want to risk his his chance of redemption against uh, Anthony Joshua or Tyson, the winner Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, uh, against Dillian White, a live opponent who could very, very easily beat um, Charles Martin? So um, I doubt that would happen either. The WBA, um, obviously, I'm not sure. WBA, uh, Povetkin was their last mandatory, I think, for the WBA. So their mandatory will be due soon, but I'm guessing again, that the mandatory would be more or less decided for the WB. So, again, Dillian White's in a tough predicament because if he's to get beat, then all of a sudden... And, by the way, I don't think you can fight for the mandatory slot on defeat. So, you would have to... You'd have to get a win under his belt, first of all. So, yeah, it just... It's a long it's a long road back, isn't it? Is what I'm trying to say. And, um, yeah, for that reason alone, it's a must-win fight for Dillian White. And, yeah, one is... I'm sure his team will be uh, definitely reminding him of come Saturday night. You've said Dillian White points. I think if Dillian's going to win, and I hope he does the business because obviously we wanted as many British fighters to do well as possible. But if I think Dillian's going to do the business, I can also see points. But obviously we saw in the first fight that he does have, you know, the power to hurt Povetkin, put him down, what, two, three times before obviously that uppercut laid him out. Um, speaking of that, that uppercut, Sam, 
is that the only way Povetkin can win? Because obviously, Dylan White is quite susceptible to that shot. Anthony Joshua did him with it when they when they fought all those years ago. Um, I think Joseph Parker nearly stopped him with it in the last round of their fight. You know, so it's not something that Dylan White has um, sort of adapted to. But would it be unfair to say that that's the only shot that Povetkin can win it with? No, no, is is the honest answer that I think that is a that is unfair. Sorry, uh, to say that because Alexander Povetkin also carries a very very meaty left hook, um, which you have to be very wary of, as I'm sure David Price will testify. Um, yeah, uh, the it, Alexander Povetkin is a very well polished um, heavyweight. He was a very polished amateur. He won various amateur tournaments. I, I think he might have even been an Olympic gold medalist. Um, so, you know, he he does have every shot in the book, um, Alexander Povetkin. However, as you rightly pointed out, his, his dangerous shots are the, the uppercut and the left hook. Now, the thing is, Dillian White's left hook is also his most dangerous shot. Now, I'd be more worried for Dillian White if his, if, if his most dangerous shot was his right hand. Um, Obviously, because if he, when he throws the right hand, he can be countered with the left hook. The fact that his most dangerous shot is his left hook sort of negates a little bit for Beckham's left hook. Um, but as you say, he does have to be very, very wary of that uppercut. That's why I think he will box more in this rematch. Um, I felt like for the first few rounds against Beckham, he, he, he was boxing really, really well, um, picking and choosing his moments. Obviously, he had some really good success in round four, um, dropping him twice. And then, you know, round five was a shocker, wasn't it? But I feel like round. He, he, I just felt like he, he went to sleep a little bit, um, did him white in round five. I just felt like he, he you know, he'd had a couple of knockdowns. He felt comfortable. Even the second knockdown, key, he got nailed by Povetkin, um, in the process of throwing that shot, um, and I feel like maybe he just thought he could take Povetkin's best punch at that point, um, and just lacked a little bit of respect and went to sleep. And obviously, he hadn't felt the full force of uh, Povetkin, had he? And, got caught and got laid clean out on the canvas. And listen, in the heavyweight division, that happens. Um, you know, sure, Dillian White's big enough, bold enough, brave enough to admit that, you know, uh, as, as well as a lot of, you know, listen, Lennox Lewis has been put flat on his back, one of the greatest British heavyweights of all time. You know, um, it can happen. You know, Hashim Rahman did it to him um, after, he, he, I wouldn't say disrespect him, but, you know, uh, after he lacked respect, uh, for his punch power, uh, you know, and obviously suffered defeat against Oliver McCall as well. So, you know, if it can happen to Lennox Lewis, the best heavyweight of all time, it can definitely happen to the best British heavyweight even of all time. It can definitely happen to him, Dillian White. Uh, and yeah, he does have to be very, very wary come Saturday night of Povetkin. But I'm sure, listen, if after getting flattened in the first fight, isn't going to wake him up, I'm sure come Saturday night, he'll be very switched on. He'll be very wary. Uh, he'll be looking to negate that uppercut. And I'll, I'll be honest, Key, as I've said, I feel like he's going to keep him on the end of that jab. He's got a very good jab, didn't he? Very, very underrated. Um, so, yeah, I feel like he will box behind the jab and he will look to systematically break Povetkin down this time. That's what I think. I think that's what he'll be looking to do. Lots of body shots. Um, obviously, mixing it up, going down to the head and body with the jab. Um and yeah, I think you'd look to systematically break him down before maybe enforcing the late stoppage or going to points because that, that for me, is the safest way of Dillian White getting the victory that he so, so needs. I'm going to go with you, actually, because I, I think back to both of the Chisora fights for Dillian White. The first one was an absolute humdinger, obviously nicked the split decision. But then in the second fight, Chisora came fit, fit as a fiddle and put him under pressure. But Dillian White was disciplined, boxed on the back foot for the majority of that fight, looked as if he was going to... Um, Go, go the distance, but then found the stoppage, obviously, late on. So I, I can see not a completely similar performance to that, but something of um, that type of performance from Dillian White, like you've just said. But the danger is there, most definitely the danger is there, and he's got to be wary of uh, that that left uppercut. And obviously, like you said, the left hook. And it's uh, it's that the way that Povetkin dips, isn't it? He, he's so good at dipping underneath the eye line and then coming back up with that uppercut, which is which was obviously the shot that, that flattened Dillian White last time. Yeah. That's where Dillian White has to be careful, isn't it? Because, as you say, I am not. I can't remember 100% certain, but I'm guessing the shot that he probably dipped under would have been the right hand. Now, it was. 
you know, that's where he needs to be careful because if he is going to throw that straight right hand, you are open, leaving yourself wide open to a perfecting left hand, whether that's a left hook or a left uppercut. Now, he will know that. His team will know that going into camp. So maybe they might limit key the, the amount of times he throws the straight right hand. Um, you don't know. Uh, he doesn't tend to throw too many right hooks being a, you know, at a, at a, you know, an orthodox fighter. He, he, he's, yeah, he's very much, he's, he's not Deontay Wilder's, he's not somebody who throws straight right hands over and over and over again. He's someone who's very much a hooker. He likes to, um, likes to, likes to throw the big left hook. Um, and, yeah, I see Dillian White boxing, quite similar to Parker, actually, Kev, you ever remember that performance? Because the first few rounds of Parker, I think Parker won the first three rounds and then, White just systematically broken down over the next four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, and then obviously he was very wary of Parker's power, wasn't he? So um he just coasted a little bit, ten and eleven, and then obviously got as you say, got caught in the twelfth and hung on for dear life. But I see him maybe doing similar thing. I, I think maybe he breaks him down, takes his heart, um in the uh Early, mid, late, you know, later, uh, later rounds. Um, but uh, you know, maybe rounds 10, 11, he might start coasting. Um, and that's where he could come unstuck, but he does need to be wary. But I definitely feel like the fight, I feel like Dillian White's going to win, but it'll definitely be a late stoppage for Dillian White. Um, if he seizes the opportunity, that no doubt will arise around that time, or he'll box his way to a point decision. I'm really excited for it, I must admit. And I'm really excited for the undercard as well. I think this is genuinely a really decent undercard. And let's start with the, the chief support, Sam. Ted Cheeseman fights the undefeated James Metcalf for the British uh, super welterweight title. Um, Ted Cheeseman is a funny one, isn't it, Sam? Because he was on the up, wasn't it? Really on the up. And then obviously had that loss to Sergio Garcia. Then a draw with Kieran Conway. Then lost to Scott Fitzgerald, which we spoke about uh, last time or the week before, I'm, I can't, I'm not too sure. And we were, you know, that was a bit dubious. Then obviously had a win over Sam Eggington. So how do you see that one going? And, and, and if he loses to James Metcalf, Metcalf, sorry, you know, what happens to Ted, Ted Cheeseman? He's in a bit of a weird predicament, isn't he? He is key. But what I would say is uh, about Ted Cheeseman is that he's in a division at the moment, which is stacked at domestic level. So if he gets beat by JJ Metcalf, there's other fights there for him, i.e., your Scott Fitzgerald rematch. Yeah, Anthony Fowler's of this world. Um, even, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, oh, the, the brother of uh, Mitchell Smith, um, Jez Smith. Um, you know, he's been calling out a few of the uh, the light middleweights. Uh, obviously, as you said, Keaton Conway, that, that, that fight's there again. Um, there's lots of fights around, you know, around domestic level that Ted Cheeseman can pick up. So, yeah, I mean, what you would say is, is that Cheeseman... Um, if he loses, although it's not, I it's not great for him, and I'm sure. Listen, I mean, to have a fair defeat on your record with inside two years, I'm sure he he wouldn't want that. Um, doesn't look particularly great, but um, yeah, he, he is very fortunate to be in a division where it's stacked at domestic level, and there's lots of lots of good fights out there for him. So I see him maybe staying at domestic level. Um, whereas if he was to win the fight, uh, he would he would then be looking to push on against Cheeseman, wouldn't he? I mean. You know, he probably rightly feels that he was robbed in the Fitzgerald match. Um, so, would he feel the need to readdress that? He might want to for his own personal ego, but um, a lot of the, the you know the, the general public and the, and the boxing public think he won, so he might not feel the need to address that. Um, so, maybe he might feel the need to start plodding on again towards European level, towards Sergio Garcia level. I mean, obviously, we seen last weekend that Anthony Fowler was after uh, being victorious on. Um, Saturday night, he was calling on Sergio Garcia um, in the European title fight. Um, so maybe Ted Cheeseman has his eyes set on him again, maybe getting back in the ring. Listen, Ted Cheeseman, since you know that last performance against Sergio Garcia, has improved leaps and bounds. He's shown different elements of his game. Everyone thought that he was a workhorse, a slugger, someone who, who had some decent tools, but he was more someone who would fight for every minute of every round for 12 rounds um, and he was always in wars what he's shown against Scott Fitzgerald was that he could box um, he can box on the back foot he can move he can you know throw nice counters um, he's shown a different facet to his game altogether so yeah um, I'm sure going into if he was to get that rematch with Sergio Garcia I'm sure he'd be a lot more confident going into it I'm sure his game plan would be completely different as well 
How do you see this one going then, Sam, you know, against James Metcalf? As I said, he is an unbeaten fighter. Um, I think it's going to be close. I just want to see what your personal take would be on it. Well, I'll be honest. Um, JJ Metcalf is a little bit of an enigma. I'll be honest. Um, he obviously same same city as myself, um, but he's always gone a little bit under the radar. Um, not quite sure why, especially considering his background. With you know, obviously his father being um, uh, Shane Eary. So yeah, he's he's sort of like boxing sort of best kept secret in a way. Um, he's obviously he's undefeated. Um, he's you know he's twenty one and zero, so you know he's accumulated a really good record. Uh, but in terms of the level of opposition he's faced, I mean, he's not fought anyone on Ted Cheeseman's level. Um, Ted, Ted actually uh, alluded to that in the press earlier on this week. I think I think we did do press press or press it today, maybe uh, saying that he didn't think that he was ready for what he was going to bring. Now, judging by what he's saying there, it sounds like Ted Cheeseman's going to go all out pressure, which is what he normally tends to do anyway. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how JJ uh, McCarthy deals with that. I mean, the only name really of um, any note to the general wider uh, public that he's beat is Jason Wellborn. Now, obviously, Jason Wellborn's record is 24 and 7. Um, he was 24 and 7 at the time of, of beating him. So, yeah. Um, He's, he's got a, a couple of fighters where, I mean, there's one, I'm looking through his record now. Uh, he's got a win against an undefeated fighter called uh, Sergei Abomo. Uh, that went to points 2016, 5-0. Um, but he's been been quite an active key. He's been like, he fought three times in 2017, once in 2018, twice in 2019, once 2020. So, really, in the last, since last five years, he's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, Four, eight times in five years for a prospect. That's not a lot, really, is it? Do you know what I mean? For someone who, who I mean, and he's he's getting on a little bit, JJ Metcalf as well. You know, he's, um, I say, a prospect. He's, I mean, I'm sure he's in his 30s now, JJ Metcalf. So, you know, he needs to get the ball moving. Obviously, he's worked his way into the mandatory slot for the British title. So, um, but yeah, be interesting to see how it goes. I feel like. This could be another tough fight for Ted Cheeseman. I do feel like um, he's going to be coming up against a fighter one who doesn't know how to, doesn't know how to lose, um, and a fighter who wants it just as bad as him. Um, but I do feel like Ted Cheeseman does have the advantage in terms of experience and the advantage of dealing with different styles. Um, he's also come up against a better caliber opponent, and for that reason make him a slight favourite in the fight. Um, so I would say, if I was to put my house on a key, I'd say it's definitely going to points. Um, I don't see there being a stoppage and I edge slightly towards Ted Cheeseman. I can't disagree with you at all. And I think purely based on the records of both fighters and the quality of opponent and the styles like you've just mentioned, which is a very good point, that Ted Cheeseman has faced in comparison to James Metcalf, I'm going to go Cheeseman. I'm going to go split decision though, because I do think it will be tight. I don't think Metcalf is Metcalf is no mug, obviously, but I just fancy Ted Cheeseman. He's a tough guy as well, really tough character. Um, obviously, sometimes too brave for his own good kind of thing, but yeah, I don't know. I think he might just edge it, but obviously, I would not be surprised if it if it went the other way. Uh, I just hope it's have... um, just to finish off on that, I just hope it's not a split. Uh, and it goes the wrong way or it's a split when it's an absolute clear victory because Ted Cheeseman's had enough of them, mate. You know, he's, you know, he had a bad decision against Kieran Conway, which was called a draw when he clearly won that fight. He had a bad decision against Scott Fitzgerald where he lost the fight and he won. So, um, yeah, I just hope that the right winner prevails and if it is a split, then it's a genuine split rather than one where it's just a poor judge's scorecard, to be honest. Absolutely. We all want Good scorecards, as we've alluded to, Sam, many times on this podcast. We hate bad, bad scorecards and bad judges. You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. Let's slip it from bad to good, Sam, because this looks like it could be a fun fight, really. A bit, a bit of an entertaining watch. Chris Congo versus Michael Mackinson. Uh, 
take it away. You know more than me about Michael Mackinson and you know his exploits and Chris Congo, obviously a decent fighter in his own right. But this this could be interesting. Yeah, it it, it does. Um, to be honest, strike me as maybe the most interesting fight on the undercard. Um, Michael Mackinson key is a name that's come up on my radar a couple of times over the last few years. He's an MTK fighter. Um, got a really good winning record. Um, obviously, he's been uh, very vocal, Michael Mackinson, uh, on Twitter in the last few years, which is how he's come, funnily enough, how he comes to my radar, uh, on my radar in the first place. Uh, nicknamed The Problem. Seems very apt for him, to be honest, judging by his uh, antics on uh, social media. But, yeah, he's... He looks like he could potentially be a problem for Chris Congo on Saturday night. I mean, he's got a nine. Uh, I'm sure I've seen it was nineteen. And nineteen and zero. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen and zero record. I mean, you know, he's got two knockouts on that record, so he's not the biggest puncher. But judging by you know some of the caliber of opponents he's beat, um, they all seem to be unanimous decisions and uh, point decisions. So you know, his last fight he, he beat a thirteen and zero Martin Harkin. Um, 17 and 0 Lewis Alberto Veron before that. Um, so he's got decent caliber of opponents on his record. So um, Sammy McMessi beat him a couple of years ago. He was 10 and 1 at the time. So, you know, he's, he's got some good wins under his belt. Um, and definitely someone who, who could cause a, a serious uh, a serious problem to um, Chris Congo uh, on Saturday night if Chris Congo was to in any way, shape or form underperform or take this fight lately. I think uh, Mackinson could be slightly awkward for Congo, although I do feel Congo will just have enough and edge it. Do you, do you see it the same way, Sam? I'll be honest, Keith. I am very, very torn on this. Um, if you actually go to uh, the bookies odds, um, a lot of the bookies have got Mackinson the favourite. Um, from what I'd seen the other day, I don't know whether that's changed. Um, no, I, I'm got actually I could, could I could be wrong with that. Um, I'm looking again here. I, I, I tell a lie, he wasn't the favourite, but it's very very close. I mean, Chris Congo here is five to two on to win the fight, and Mackinson's fifteen to eight. So when you work it out, Chris Congo is slightly above, slightly uh, below evens, um, slightly above even. Sorry, and um, Mackinson is just. Shy of evens on the other side. So Congo is an ever, ever, ever so slight favourite in that fight. That's how close this fight is. Um, I think it's very, very hard to, to split them. Um, I'll be honest, I, if Chris Congo turns up, I've watched Chris Congo a few times, but he's been obviously been involved on matchroom shows a couple of times. Am I right in saying he's uh, managed by Dillian White? Am I right in saying that? Chris Congo? I'd have, I'd have to have a look for you if you just yeah, bear I, with me. I think he possibly could be. But I'm almost certain he's been on it. Well, I know he's definitely for certain been on a few matchroom shows before. I've definitely watched a couple of times. And he's been a little bit underwhelming in certain fights. Um, so, but his last performance against uh, Luther Clay, was, he was brilliant. Obviously, you know, ripped the title from uh, Luther Clay. Um, so, it really depends for me what uh, Chris Congo turns up. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to be a little bit controversial. I'm going to edge towards Michael Mackinson. I don't know what it is. I just, I like his arrogance, Key. I like his arrogance. He's very, very sure of himself. Um, even today, I, I caught a little bit of um, the face down, uh, it, the face off even uh, between them. Uh, I've put my teeth back in at some point. I keep uh, mobbing up the <laughs> uh, Yeah, I even watched the face off uh, between them today. Uh, and Mackinson looked really confident, mate. Really sure of himself and yeah um, I don't know I don't know what it is I just just ever so slightly lean towards him if I had to pick if you force if you had a gun to my head and forcing me to choose I'd side with Mackinson what I would say is if you actually go on box rec as well Mackinson's actually ranked the number two welterweight in Britain whereas Congo's the number nine now whether that's something to really go off I'm not sure um, I mean obviously them ratings not entirely accurate, but uh, actually, I tell a lie. He's the number three welterweight in Britain. Sorry, I tell a lie. Kel Brooks, the number one. Conor Ben's number two. Uh, Mackinson's actually number three ahead of Josh Kelly. Now, obviously, Josh Kelly will have fell down them rankings after 
his defeat to uh, David Avanesian last month. Uh, but, you know, he's still ranked above the likes of Chris Jenkins, who, you know, British champion, wasn't he? Um, he's above Luva Clay, who obviously faced Chris Congo last time out, and he's above Chris Congo. So, you know, he's still above some good names there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not that there's too much to go on, but maybe it does give a little indication of where, you know, the British, uh, some you know, certainly boxing, and where maybe the, 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 the British boxing fraternity uh, rank these welterweights and yeah I'm just going to edge slightly towards Mackinson in a real close close encounter but again I see this point I see this fight going to points uh, First and foremost you were right Chris Congo did sign with Dillian White alongside uh, Richard Riakpour and Fabio Wardley who will be coming on to very very shortly yeah. um, I'm actually I'm actually going to disagree with you Sam um, on this one uh, not that I don't think it'll be close I think Mackinson's a great character and obviously people might look at his record and think oh a lot of points victories and might go against him because of that but I think that clearly shows that he can box and if he can stay disciplined you know he can cause problems with Congo I just think maybe Congo might have too much and might even get a very very late stoppage but I don't want to discredit Michael Mackinson whatsoever but I'm going to just side with with Chris Congo and um, that, that, that's a fair opinion because obviously we've seen a lot more of Chris Congo I mean Michael Mackinson being an MTK fighter, I don't think he's signed to any particular promoter, so he's fighting on a lot of MTK shows. Um, he won't be as well known um, as Chris Congo, who's been fighting on Matchroom Sky Sports shows. So I think that's fair to come to that assumption, especially based off how Chris Congo performed in his last fight. Uh, but I don't know. Just judging, I've seen little clips of him, Michael Mackinson, and you're right, he can box. Um, he, he's definitely a boxer rather than a brawler. Um He's definitely someone who's got the capabilities to frustrate Chris Congo um, and make it hard work for Chris Congo. But uh, yeah, it depends what you what you edge towards. I, I I'm personally going to edge towards Mackinson just because I just feel like there's a reason why he's rated so highly in so in some of these rankings. Um, obviously, his 19-0 record helps, but he has fought some decent caliber of opponents as well, some undefeated fighters. So yeah, he's he's definitely uh, got got the uh, the tools to, to get this job done um, and that's why I feel like it, 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 it makes for a very interesting fight I would not be surprised if this fight was extremely close and was a draw I wouldn't be surprised if one of them nicks it I also wouldn't be surprised if one of them outboxed the other one completely but what I am certain of and which is what I'm going to disagree with you on I am 99.9% certain that this fight goes to points let's see shall we what we both agree on is it's a very exciting fight and, you know, we recommend that, you know, if you're listening, tune into that one for sure. Uh, let's have a look at another interesting fight. Sam, you know, Fabio Wilder briefly just mentioned him, up and coming heavyweight and he's fighting Eric Moline, obviously a name that we know quite well. He's fought for a world championship twice against Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua, albeit was knocked out twice, probably gave Wilder more of a score than he did. Joshua, to be honest, he, he was non-existent in the Joshua fight, but he's also lost to Dominic Brazil, Philip Hergovic in his last fight, and even Chris Ariola early on in his career. Um, so having said that, is this a good step up for Fabio Wardley at the right time? Well, yeah, in comparison to some of his other opponents, he's fought it's a step up, isn't it? You know, Eric Molina is a former world title challenger. Uh, as you say, he's been in the ring with the likes of Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, um, Chris Ariola, good, you know, uh, Good level of opponents. Um, Philip Hergovic last time out. He's been in with some of the top heavyweights in, you know, the the Cuddens, um heavyweight landscape. However, there's one common theme there, Keith. He lost to all of them. And I'll be honest, the, the Eric Molina that I've seen recently, I don't see being able to withstand what Fabio Wardley's got. Um, in terms of the level of opponents he's been facing, is it a step up? Yes, in terms of you know, who he's been in with, but in terms of the Eric Molina that he's going to be facing, I don't feel like it's going to be a real competitive contest, I'll be honest. I, feel, I see Wardley blowing him out of there in a few rounds and, yeah, I, I, see, it being, I see it being a straightforward night's work for Fabio Wardley, but that's not to discredit Wardley. Wardley's, a, you know, a, a, an improving fighter, a fighter who, you know, every time I watch him, uh, is more and more impressive. His last performance against Simon Valili was... A terrific, terrific performance. I did not see that happening. Simon Valili come in, you know, very confident. He can box, by the way, Simon Valili. Um, not necessarily the, a massive heavyweight, but he can box. And Wardley, not only, you know, outgunned him, but he 
also outboxed him as well. He was just a very, very composed um, performance and obviously got Valeri out of there very, very quickly, um, which may have come as a little bit of a surprise. But yeah, considering his background, but um, Wardley, you know, he, he was obviously uh, a white collar boxer, wasn't he? he? Didn't really have much of an amateur. I don't think he had an amateur career, really. White collar and then turned over pro, and you know, he's making a real name for himself now in the heavyweight division. But yeah, I'll I, be an honest key, just to put it very bluntly, I won't go into this one or analyse it too much. I see Wardley winning, and I see him getting a million out of there with him. Less than four rounds. I'm going to go over Wardley knockout as well, just to uh, wrap up this one. I'm going to go rounds four to six. I feel like he might, you know, might ease way Is what? He might stretch him. Yeah, I just think he might just, just take his time, ease into the fight, and just, you know sort of develop into his work rather than just trying to blow him out there. He might make a statement. He might go out there and just and chin him, like you said, and that would not surprise me whatsoever. I just think maybe rounds four to six, get a couple of rounds in and then start to, you know, go to work. Eric Molina, like you said, Sam, looks a shadow of his former self after the Wilder fight. And he troubled Wilder for large periods of that fight. Yep. Obviously, Wilder, his power got him out of trouble. And, and you thought, you know, he's got a bit about him, this guy. But since then... He just doesn't look like, in any big fight, he just doesn't look like he wants to be in the ring, really. The Joshua fight, he was beaten before he, the bell had even gone. Um, oh, so, remember that? We had the fight, remember? We went, yeah, yeah, Manchester Arena, yeah, we went to it, and it was he, he just destroyed him. So, yeah, I'd have to go Fabio Wardley, knockout. Um, let's quickly wrap up, Sam. There's a couple of other fights on this card. Um, Eric Pfeiffer is an undefeated Russian, 7-0, and fighting Nick Webb. Sort of yeah. a, a little, a little bit of a forgotten man at heavyweight. You know, he seemed to be on the up and come, didn't he? But then got chinned by Dave Allen, which was one of oh, the maddest yeah. things ever. Uh, just, I just, I just see that one going. It's a bit. That's a bit of a weird one to predict, isn't it? Yeah, very weird one. I don't really know a lot about uh, Pfizer the Russian. Um, going off his record, seven and zero, um, and the fact that he's the A side of this fight. Obviously, judging by the way they promote it, as far as a web. Um, you would have to favour him. Um, yeah, I feel like Nick Webb's maybe been put there as cannon fodder for him, really. Um, as you say, Webb, ever since he got beat by... Um, ever since he got beat by Dave Allen, sort of fell off the big show scene, hasn't he? Sort of gone on to the smaller, ho- uh, smaller show. Small hall shows, even. You know, I, I will put my teeth in eventually, Key. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's gone on to these smaller... Venues, um, and yeah, he's just sort of seems to he's he's faded into the background, really a little bit. Nick Webber, maybe listen, maybe this is the fight where he gets his name back out there and he gets himself into some big domestic heavyweight fights. But I just feel like he's been put on here as cannon fodder, really. I mean, I'm I'm guessing if this this fire fire is Russian, um, I'm guessing he's probably part of the world of boxing stable, Sasha Pavekin, Alexander Pavekin's stable, um, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably going to be a gimme for him, or it's meant to be a gimme. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna say. Uh, did you say did you say his name? Pronounce his name Vaz? Did you say? Uh, Pfeiffer, Eric Pfeiffer. Sorry. 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 Yeah, uh, d- d- no problem. Um, I'm Eric just looking Pfeiffer. at his record, Sam. Um, first fight knockout, second fight opponent retired, then a unanimous decision, then a knockout, then a majority decision, and then the last two opponents have have retired. So, um. Sounds like he's carrying some decent power. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a tough one, but yeah. Five, I just, I just uh, think... yeah. Put my neck on the line, Key. I'm going to say knockout um, and maybe again inside four downs. Yeah, I'm going to go early knockout. And I think, yeah, I'm going to side with you. Maybe even the first three rounds because Nick Webb seems a lovely guy, but he, I was just looking at his record. He got knocked out by Dave Allen pretty early on. Then he beat Dorian Darch, but then he lost to Kamil Sokolovsky and that was another knockout. So... Um, listen, I hope he proves us wrong, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go maybe one rounds one to three uh, and the Russian with with the knockout. Um, and finally, Sam, I'll have you a Peroni on the uh, on the last fight, by the way. So you're going you're going a uh, Melina. What what did you say? Uh, Melina to take him to the six? Did you say? Yeah, for uh, no uh, rounds four to six. Round four to six I'm, saying, I'm saying he'll get him out of there before the end of the the end of the fourth. Right? Okay, well, so, right, yeah. So we, we, winner gets a Peroni. When I get to Peroni, yeah, that's yeah. what we'll have on it. Um, there's another fight, Sam, just before we wrap up on Campbell Hatton's debut. Um, this is a bit of an unknown one. Yusuf Kamari is un- unbeaten, I believe. He's fighting Kane Baker. He's obviously been on a few matchroom shows and, you know, loves a scrap, to be fair, but he's lost quite a few fights. 
Um, do you think that's, again, a, a set-up fight for Kamari to try and get a decent name on his record and get the win? Yeah, you think so, wouldn't you? I mean, Kane Baker, I mean, God bless him, mate. He obviously got a few fights now on matching cards and, um, you know, he's sort of been like the land fed to the sort of thing. Um, the, I mean, the, the only the only win he's had on a matching show was against uh, the uh, Tony Bellew charge uh, from Liverpool, wasn't it? Um, which was a fight at short notice for uh, Tony's man. So, um, obviously came he could have been in the ring, I think, was the week before, two weeks prior, so he was still match, uh, match fit. So, yeah, um, yeah, I feel like, it, again, it's another one of them, isn't it? A, a fight where he's been, uh, he's been fed, really, to his opponents. And look, if Kane Baker can, can pull off the upset, then great, you know, um, and I hope he does, but I can't see it happening, being honest with you, and I see, I see it being a straightforward, uh, straightforward victory. Um, for his opponent on Saturday night yeah I'm going to go for Kamari as well just looking at his record he's had 12 fights 11 wins 4 KOs and 1 draw his draw was against Liam Dillon uh, that was for the English super featherweight title so because Kane because Kane's a tough character I think he'll be valiant but I think Kamari will get a unanimous points decision in that one uh, and let's wrap up on what is a nice story Sam Campbell Atten is obviously making his debut on this card over in Gibraltar the son of Ricky Hart and Sam with Matchroom very very recently um, just how excited are you to see, you know, the son of a legend just just step into the ring? And it's a bit of an unknown, isn't it? We don't really know anything about him. We don't care. I mean, I, Campbell Atten um, has been active himself on Twitter probably since his early teens, being honest with you. He's been uh, very active and obviously being the son of Ricky Hatton, he, he's gained some uh, notoriety. Um, in terms of his experience, he doesn't have the most amateur experience. He, he has won a, a novice title uh, at that level, but other than that, I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think he's boxed for either England or, or uh, Team GB. He definitely didn't box for Team GB. I'm not, I don't think he boxed for England um, at junior or senior level. So, um, yeah, it remains to be seen um, how, he, um, how he transfers over to the pro game, but what I would say from what I've seen of him in, in his training clips and um, you know some of his fights that, that I've watched on it on YouTube, his style is definitely more suited to the pro game. He's an aggressive, come forward fighter who likes to put his shots together. Um, the amateur amateur scene didn't suit him. Being honest, didn't suit him whatsoever. So I felt like when when um, it was announced that he was trying, he was uh, turning over, I felt like. It was a really, really smart and good decision from both himself, uh, his, his management team, and uh, well, I say his management team, his, his management team now is two five eighters now, Joshua, but his management team then of his dad and uh, his trainer Matthew Hatton, his brother, uh, Ricky's brother. Um, I thought that was a really good decision between the three of them, really, to, to do that to turn over. Um, despite the fact that obviously, uh, how old is he? Is he 19, 20? I think he's so, 20, 20 years old. Yeah, so, I mean, still young, isn't he? Very, very young. Still, you know, still yet to develop. But, listen, no need to rush him. Um, I think this is going to be a similar journey to Conor Ben. Um, one where, you know, they give him lots and lots of fights, let him make his mistakes early on. He could be in a few wars. He could maybe even come unstuck early on. But it's all about developing that experience, um, developing a skill set. And eventually, you know, when the time's right, I'm sure between... Two five eight, um, Eddie Hearn, uh, and you know his father Ricky and uh, his uncle Matthew. Um, I'm sure you know they'll let him off the leash accordingly, and you know we'll get to see a real explosive talent um, once again from Manchester. Um, really looking forward to Key. You know, really from what I've seen, puts his body shots together really well. Very, very alike to his dad. Um, I just hope he doesn't uh, have the same diet as his dad, Kate. Um, you know, <laughs> of Guinness and uh, Guinness and chippies. You know, otherwise, you know, we could be in for another roller coaster. But now, he's a, obviously looks at talent, and you know, funny enough, Michael Mackinson, uh, as we mentioned earlier on, on Twitter, Michael Mackinson actually ripped into uh, the news that Matchroom had signed Campbell Atten because obviously he did have it, a very limited amateur background, and um, Campbell Atten. A lot of people would have said he was signed for the name, but the one thing that Eddie Aim will always admit, or will always, you know, do, is tell people the truth. And he did. He obviously has signed Campbell Hatton because of his name. 
that that you know it's not going to be because of his amateur pedigree or his amateur background. He doesn't have much of one. Um, so that's obviously the reason why. Um, now a lot of a lot of boxers like Michael Mackinson will feel aggrieved at that because you know they've worked themselves into good positions and yet are still fighting on small hall shows. And I completely get that, completely understand that. But ultimately. Any promoter will say this, and anyone will say this, and I know Keith because you know, friend of mine, boxers on the small air hall scene. Um, if you can sell tickets, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're making onto the big shows. And obviously, Campbell Hatton's going to put bums on seats because of his dad and because of his dad's legacy and his name. So that's why he's being signed. And yeah, it'll be very, very interesting for the boxing public. Um, watching Campbell Hatton, I think it's going to be. A real roller coaster, and I look forward to watching him in the years to come. I couldn't have put it better myself, mate, to be honest with you. And, and just thinking, you know, dreaming of watching him sell at the Manchester Arena uh, with a massive crowd like his dad, that would be absolutely spot on. Uh, Sam, thank you for your time. It's been really enjoyable this evening. Uh, thank you to you guys for listening once again. We will be back next week because I'm just looking, Sam. Jamal Herring versus Carl Frampton next Saturday. So we'll be getting our teeth stuck into that, I imagine. Uh, but yeah, thanks again, Sam. Thanks to everyone for listening. You have tuned in to the Ringcraft podcast brought to you by Matchday FM.